Hey, well, friends, it's good to be with you guys. Um, like Donnie said, my name's John. I serve as one of the pastors at Frontline Church. I'm here actually with my family, who we've got a picture of. I won't make them come up here. Um, that is my beautiful wife, Kristen, and my oldest son, Jack, on the right, buddy Kean there on your left, and then that's, uh, that's Audra Kate. Um, I, just as a quick side note, that is actually not Rayford, North Carolina. Um, <laughs> that we're from, people are like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling called to Rayford. That actually is it. Come on, we'd love to have you. Uh, it'd be great. Hey, well, man, I'm, I'm so grateful, and, and I'm grateful for your partnership in the gospel. Like, I, I say on behalf of all the Frontline crew who both is here and is not here, uh, if it wasn't for your guys' generosity and prayers, like, it, we just wouldn't be a thing, you know? And Jesus can do anything, and I get that, but he's done that through you. And so we're really grateful. The, the partnership in the gospel we feel is so much deeper even than just prayers and your generosity. Um, it, it feels like being with brothers and sisters here. And, and the reality like, of, of a time like this together is it, it does feel like time on the mountain. I, I remember a couple years ago, actually, I think at an advanced thing, Donnie talked about um, the, the, the moments like this, it, it feels like being on the mountain. It's like Peter, James, and John, when they see Jesus transfigured and Peter is like, I don't want to go anywhere else ever. This is amazing. Ministry is hard. Let's just stay up here. Everyone else kind of be damned is to be, to be honest, what Peter was, was thinking. And, um, cause the reality is like they go down the mountain and, and they're back. It, it's like back to life, back to reality. Um, and, and some of you may be feeling that already. You're like, man, this has been amazing, and I got to go back to my church, and we don't have worship like this, and we don't have a building like this, and we don't have space like this, and things are crazy at home, and all of that, in some ways, hopefully you've been able to detach from, um, but we do need to come back off the mountain, and um, I, I think I, w- I want us to just think of a few things as we're coming back off the mountain, like, man, th- this, this experience has been amazing. Matt Hosier, like through video, man, I, I, when I heard he's going to be on video, I was like, man, are people going to be engaged with this? And it was just, it was amazing as he's helped us understand these churches in, in Revelation. And then Eric giving us a word on uh, love being prophetic. Like, what does it look like for us to be a loving church? Man, I, I so want that. I, we talk often at Frontline. But like, man, what, what if people were to say five years from now, like, man, that church, they just love each other really well. That's such a countercultural thing. I, I want that. Thank you, Eric. And then, man, last night, Brian Hart, like, okay. Um, I, <laughs> I love Brian a whole lot. And, and one of the things, like, if you're in the military, you know this. And if you're not, well, you get to experience it a bit. Uh, I was in the Army. I won't even say that Brian was in the Marines, because if you've met a Marine, you know they jump on it. They're like, once a Marine, always a Marine. I'm like, okay, okay. So Brian is a Marine, okay? And um, uh, he, like, like, Marines in general, not known f- for being super smart, right? There's a joke about... Um, <laughs> We're starting on a good note here. Um, hey, my, my dad is a Marine, was a Marine, whatever, okay? So I, I can say it, and I served with a lot of Marines. Um, and, and there's like this joke that Marines eat crayons for fun. And um, I, I, was thinking, I was thinking last night that at some point, they must have changed to like free-range grass-fed crayons because that, that was, man, 
Hey, serious, on a serious note though, man, like for you to be able to stand in the tension of having a courageous prophetic word like that, that is a hard word for the churches and for it to come across as, as winsome and compelling and gracious, man, I, I just honor you. That's such a unique thread to stand in, man. We're better because of you. I'm really grateful for that. So here, here's how we want to land uh, our time together. Um, Paul writes this beautiful letter to the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus was the church, first church we heard about because a little later, Jesus is saying, hey, return to your first love or I'm going to remove your lampstand. They'd grown cold hearted. So we want to end with this passage. I'm just going to read this and then we'll, we'll see what Jesus has for us. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33 Jesus, again, speaking to the churches. This is from the CSB. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So just a few thoughts from this passage to anchor ourselves as we head back down the mountain, as it were, together. First, Jesus loves your church willingly. Jesus loves your church willingly. He says in verse 25, again, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Jesus's love for your church was, is, and always will be a love of the will. It, it, it's, a, it's a love of choice. It's, it's not a love of obligation. He, here's, here's what this means. Like Jesus doesn't have to amp him up, amp himself up to love your church. I think oftentimes like on Sunday, I wish I could say I come into every Sunday with so much faith. I mean, Jesus is going to show up and I love these people and it's amazing. But there's some Sundays where I just feel like I got to amp myself up. I mean, I gotta, I'm like, I got a playlist that I listen to on the way into church and and I'm just reminded as we think about coming off, off the mountain that Jesus never has to do that. Like when he tells the sun to rise again and he thinks about your church, he's not like, oh my gosh, I got to do it again. I got to love her again today. She was a hot mess yesterday. He does it willingly. John 10, 18 in the New Living Translation, Jesus says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. His love was, is, and always will be a pursuing, self-giving love. And, and if you're honest, like, maybe your love for your church isn't like that. Like your, your love, maybe, maybe you're just in a season where you're like, man, the past 20 months have been brutal and 
My love feels more like a love of obligation. Like I do because Jesus does, but uh, I don't really want to. Or, or if you're honest, you're like, I do because if I don't do this, I don't know how I'm gonna take care of my wife and kids and the family and this is just what I'm supposed to do. Be reminded today, Jesus' love for your church isn't like that. He loves your church willingly, but he also loves your church unconditionally. He loves your church willingly, but he also loves your church unconditionally. It says again in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Do you notice when, um, when we're hearing about Jesus's love for his church, that there's no contingencies. It's, it's not conditioned on anything. It's not like, hey, Jesus loved his church and gave himself up for her as long as she became what he was hoping she would be one day. He, he took her and she was okay and she was not much of a looker, but she had potential. And then she grew into that potential. And Jesus, man, he really loves your church now because of that. Jesus's love for your church actually isn't contingent on your church's response to that love. And, and I don't like, I don't know what to do. It's hard, man. I, I, I constantly live with this transactional relationship with Jesus in my own life and in the life of our church. Like, well, man, we've got this great building opportunity and now we, we better shape up and show Jesus that we're worthy of this opportunity that he's given us. Paul means to remind us like, that's not how Jesus feels about your church. He loves her unconditionally. The grace he lavishes on your church, it's just because he loves her. He's gonna make her one day how he already sees her. That's another mystery of the gospel. Like Jesus sees the church already as perfect and spotless and blameless, and he is day by day changing her into what she already is. That's a way that the gospel is mysterious. When we say that Jesus' love for his church is unconditional, what it means is that he, he doesn't withhold his love from his church. He's not manipulative with it. He's not like, hey, well, if you love me like this, I'll love you like this. This is what we do often in marriage. Like, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna serve you, but I hope it leads to you loving and serving me or I hope you respond like this. Jesus isn't like that. It's a self-giving love. And again, we gotta take time and just say, like, maybe your love for your church hasn't been like that in this season. That you've been saying like, well, man, if only my church would respond in this way, maybe I'd spend more time on sermons or I'd do more counseling or I'd do whatever. Our love so often is contingent, but Jesus isn't. His love for his bride is unconditional. And the truth of that, we don't just find in the New Testament. It's actually all throughout the Old Testament as well. The, the Old Testament can be summed up, I, I think really succinctly, as God and his faithless bride. Like faithful God, faithless people. Faithful God, faithless bride. We see that really clearly in Hosea, and we're just gonna spend a bit of time talking uh, about this. Um, if you're not familiar with this, it's, it's okay. God comes to Hosea, who's a prophet for Israel, who'd speak on behalf of God, deliver messages uh, for God to the people. He comes to Hosea and he says, hey, I want you to go marry a woman of prostitution. I want you to go find a prostitute and I want you to marry her. 
which is, which is like, sometimes we get words from the Lord and you're like, man, I, I don't know. I, I got a word like that yesterday from a guy who's like, man, I, this feels weird. I'm seeing a couch. And like, I knew exactly what that meant. But sometimes words for us, like we just don't have clarity on it. This is one that I would just assume that I would be like, huh, I don't know. Like, I, I serve around a military base. And um, if, if you were in the military and you led soldiers, you know it's a pretty normal thing that they came, they'll come and be like, hey, I fell in love. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm gonna get married. Oh, boy. Well, where'd you meet her? Oh, at the SERP club. Like, huh, interesting. So just picture somebody coming to you in your church and be like, hey, God gave me a word. I'm supposed to marry a prostitute. You're like, huh, interesting, okay? So God comes to Jose. He's like, hey, go marry Gomer. And the reason is he wants the nation of Israel to see, and he actually wants Hosea to experience the reality of the relationship as it exists between God and his faithless bride. He's like, I want you to actually experience, and I want the nation of Israel to see what's happening. So Hosea is going to actually take the pain of this upon himself so that he can experience and the people can see a picture of what's happening in their relationship with God. So in Hosea 1, we, we know that Gomer bears three children. One is Hosea's, the other two aren't. And um, in chapter two, the narrative in Hosea breaks. So we're finding out about what's going on in their marriage and it's a mess and he's looking for her and all this. And then the narrative breaks and God says, this is how Israel has been with me. She's a faithless bride, despite how much I love her. And so here's what's gonna happen. He kind of talks about these legal proceedings that could happen. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness, God is within his rights to divorce her, to say, hey, I am done with you. And so he says, hey, this is how you've been with me. You've been faithless. You've chased after other gods. You've given yourself over to idolatry. And because of that, I'm going to expose your shame. The first part of Hosea 2 is it's, brutal. It's crushing because I find myself in Hosea too. And I'm, I'm like, man, that's what I deserve. That's what I deserve, God, because of my unfaithfulness to you. And in the middle of Hosea too, just as we expect, God, God is he's, he's kindly telling the truth to us about who we are. And just as we expect for him to say, I'm done with you, right when we expect the hammer to be dropped, right when we think God is going to be done with his people, he's going to be done with us. He says this in Hosea 2.14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Jesus loves your church willingly. He loves your church unconditionally. And he also loves your church tenderly. This word allure is a, um, it, it's a word of romantic enticement, but not in a manipulative way. It, it's not in an abusive way. It's not in this way where somebody with power sees somebody without power and kind of manipulates them. And that's not what he's talking about. He says, hey, I'm gonna bring you into the wilderness. And rather than bringing down the hammer that you deserve, I'm gonna speak tenderly to you. I'm gonna allure you. I mean, it literally means God is saying, I'm gonna woo you with my love. That's what he's saying. And in Hosea, we get this beautiful picture of the tenderness of Jesus. 
And so we've had time where we've heard these prophetic words from Jesus to the church. And the reality is like, they're tough words. They're difficult words. We cannot be like, oh, there's other churches. They're idolatrous and they've given themselves over to that. And these other churches, they've lost their first love, but not us. We're doing great. We're actually meant to say, no, no, no. Jesus is holding a mirror up and then he's gonna allure us with his love. Though what you and I and what your church deserves is judgment, Jesus says he's gonna woo us with his love. My favorite book um, from last year is that book a lot of you have probably read, Gentle and Lowly. And um, that book's been really polarizing. We're reading it as a, as a church right now because um, they gave us a bunch of free copies. It's also really good. Uh, <laughs> and, and even in our church, it, it, there's a bit of a polarizing response. There are some people who love it. And, and I, I find myself there. I'm, I'm like at the end of my rope. I'm like, if Jesus doesn't respond to me like this, I'm in so much trouble. So I love a book like this. I'm like, man, I, I want him to be gentle and lowly with me. I want him to be tender with me. And I'm really afraid a lot of the times that he's not gonna be. So a book like this is a cool drink of water for my soul. But there are some people who just... I think continue to live with this transactional relationship with Jesus. No, no, no. Even this text, like he's gonna woo me with his love. Ugh, that doesn't feel good. Let's go back to the prophetic church thing. Like Eric was talking about, the, woo me with his love. I want him to send me out with a sword and a shield and here I go, let's go get him. There's a reason it's been so polarizing. I think it's, I think it's telling. And it's because if we're honest, we're more comfortable with a Jesus who shames us when we do wrong and who cheers us on when we do right. And, and I think the reason there is that betrays a transactional relationship with God. Like if I do right, God will respond right. If I do wrong, he'll respond wrong. Um, the reason we're so drawn to a God like that is if you think about it, a God who responds like that is a God that we can control. You can control God. And you can always explain why stuff in your life is messed up. Well, it's messed up because I messed up. And if I would do right, it would be okay. But the problem is, maybe you can say in the season, man, I've not done everything perfectly, but I feel like I'm chasing after God. I, I feel like I'm honoring him. I feel like I am. Like Brian said, I'm doing my best. And it just seems like he's crushing me. A God like that, you, like you, you can't control. Jesus tells you and he tells your church the truth, but he's kind and he's gracious. The reason he gives these hard words to his church is because he loves her. How unloving would it be for him to look at the church at Ephesus or to look at your church and be like, man, they don't even love people anymore. For him to be like, well, I don't want to offend her. I don't want her to feel bad. He tells you the truth, but he does it with kindness and graciousness. Now, let me, let me talk about an objection that some of you may, may be thinking. As I say, like, Jesus loves your church and he's tender with your church and he, all that, I, I think um, you could be feeling like, what do you mean my church? It's not my church, it's Jesus' church. Fix your slides, <laughs> right? It's not my church, it's Jesus' church. Um, you're a part of your church. And um, he, here's why I say this. 
Jesus is tender with your church. He loves your church willingly. He loves her unconditionally. And you're actually a part of your church. Um, All of us in here are either pastors or leaders or on our way to leadership. And, And if you're anything like me, what's so easy when I'm talking about how Jesus loves his church, I'm putting the church that I'm a part of out here and I'm standing separate from her and telling her Jesus is good and he's kind and he's gracious and he's tender with you and he loves you. And it's so easy for me to feel separate from that. To, to like, I need to be reminded often that before I'm an under shepherd in my church, I'm actually a part of the bride that Jesus loves. We heard Jesus really cares about local church and you are a part of your local church. It's a beautiful thing to Jesus. He loves your church and he loves you and you are a part of your church. Let's not separate ourselves from that. Like, let's remember before we were called to the people of God, we were called to the great high priest, to our shepherd who wooed you with his love, who drew you in with his love, who set his love on you and rescued you in the midst of yourself. He drew you in. A few years ago, I was sitting with a, with a therapist and um, we were processing shame together. And uh, shame for me is just, man, it's like this little, I think Brene Brown calls it this like gremlin that hides in the shadows and you gotta constantly be bringing it out. And, and that's how it is for me. And so he asked me this question. He said, uh, just as we're meeting together, and remember, I'm there to process like crippling shame with him. And uh, he says, hey, do you know Jesus' first word in Mark? And I was like, geez, I didn't know this was gonna be a Bible quiz. <laughs> yeah, he says in Mark 1, like repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And um, I said, yeah, he said, do you know Jesus' first words in the gospel of John? And I was like, um, well, doc, I'm here to see you about shame and we're not starting off great. <laughs> like I'm a, I'm a pastor. Like I, I legit was like, what, what is, is this like you, this weird psycho psychosis? Like take me deeper into shame so you can pull me out of shame. he said, no, it's okay. You know, he said, it's interesting. I sit with a lot of pastors and most of them can tell me what Jesus's first words in Mark are. And he said, you know, there's not been one who can say what Jesus's first words in John are. And in John 1:38, Jesus looks at John's disciples who are now following him. And he says, what do you want? He just turns around. He doesn't say, this is who I am. John has said, hey, behold the Lamb of God, and they're following him, and Jesus just says, what do you want? Another way of saying that is, what do you desire? What are you looking for? What are you after? What do you need? And there's lots of care in this question. It's not him turning around saying, what do you you want? What's the matter with you? Why can't you pull your act together? you, You just tell me, what do you need from me? He does it with a lot of care and tenderness. It's actually an invitation to reflection. So here's what I want you to know. Jesus is present with you and he's present with his church. The reason um, that I preach every week with the elements in front of me is I want people 
to be constantly remembering Jesus is actually present here. And I need to, I mean, it's like the church has historically done this, and it, but there's a reason for it. Like I need this reminder when I'm preaching. Jesus, he's actually here. He's actually present. He cares. He knows what's been said this week, past few days. He, he knows what's been unsaid. He knows that thing that you're like, man, if I let people into that part, I'm gonna, my shame and nakedness is gonna be exposed and there's gonna be no going back. And I can't go there. He sees and cares about what you're carrying. He hasn't been asleep the past 20 months. And again, I think if we're honest, I think there's some of us who just feel like, like, man, my, my wife and I, we, some of you guys know, we were here last year. We just went through, we went through a couple years where we're like, for sure we don't hear from God right now. And I think we may never have heard from him. And Jesus knows that. And when he says, what do you need? He's not like you think about it. He asks the disciples that, and he doesn't roll out a Rolodex of who he is. He doesn't say, this is all you need to know. What's the matter with you is right here. He just turns and he sees him. And he asks, what do you need? Jesus is here. He's present. And he wants to be. It's not an obligation for him. And so this question for us, what do you need? is an invitation to reflection. It's an invitation to actually, I mean, you've got communion elements at your table and I'm gonna explain that in a while, but I just wanna, if it's helpful, look at it and picture Jesus. He's there with you and he knows what you're carrying. And he knows how hard it's been and he feels with you you say like Paul, man, there's a daily anxiety of all the churches on top of everything that's going on. Also, he's with you. So I want you to spend a few minutes. For most of you, it's probably going to be more than you're comfortable with. We're, we're a charismatic bunch and I love that, man. We want to hoop and holler and give words and like, let's, but sometimes it's right to just be silent before Jesus. And um, so I want you to consider that. For the next few minutes, there's no right or wrong answers. Jesus is with you. And you're chasing after him. You're walking after him like I'm holding on to you because I got nothing else to hang on to. And he just turns and his eyes meet yours. And he says, what do you, what do you need? He cares about that. So just for the next few minutes, consider that if it's helpful, write it down. Maybe don't, don't answer it too quickly. Just consider that if it's helpful, write it down. And then in a few minutes, we'll come to the table again.